everybody, I'm Dan Roberts. I'm the arena announcer for the Utah Jazz. Time now to talk about the Utah Jazz and the NBA on the Salt Lake Tribune Jazz Podcast. How about this jazz? And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's meet Eric Walden and Andy Larson. Welcome into the How About This Jazz podcast, everyone. My name is Andy Larson. Alongside me, Eric Walden. We are the Utah Jazz beat writers for the Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, we are recording this podcast right before the Jazz go on a six-game, 13-day road trip, um, which may in a lot of ways define the direction of their season, whether they continue to fight for playoff and play-in positioning or whether they... Uh, fall out of kind of the Western Conference picture and start looking at draft uh, positioning. So want to talk about that and kind of frankly whether or not the Jazz are tanking. I think there are potential signs in either direction uh, that that we'll get into. Uh, And then we also want to talk about a couple other news items uh, over the last week. One that uh, Walker Kessler has been named the NBA's or I guess the Western Conference Rookie of the Month for the month of February. We'll talk about whether we saw anything different from him in February. Uh, and then also we want to look at uh, Quinn Snyder choosing to join the Atlanta Hawks. And uh, it's just kind of an interesting thing for Jazz fans who obviously know and love Quinn Snyder from his near decade here. Um, and kind of how he'll fit in over there is, is going to be fun to watch. But um, first of all, Eric, how are you doing? I'm great, Andy. I have... Very mixed feelings about not spending the next five days in Oklahoma City. <laughs> like, yeah. On the one hand, you know, you're not spending five days in Oklahoma City, so that's great. On the other hand, we're not doing that because we're not traveling, so um, that's a bummer, you know? Like, I would, I would take five days in Oklahoma City if it meant that we were on the road for every game again. So I'm looking forward to when, that's, when, that, when that is the case once more. Indeed, I think that's that's fair to say. Uh, I miss the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma City, which is a bowling alley, a uh, 1930s-themed bowling alley where uh, they haven't put score, you know, the automatic scoring in the bowling lanes yet, so you actually have to do the scores yourself. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I'm pro the Dust Bowl. But anyway, um, and, you know, honestly, just basically pun and history-based establishments in general. <laughs> uh, that's that's my wheelhouse but yeah when you started off as saying that you missed the dust bowl i was like well that's a pretty harsh way to to oklahoma city no it's the literal bowling establishment in okc called the dust bowl which uh i once went actually very funnily i went bowling with bowler there craig bowler jack but uh if there's anyone who loves bowling it's bowler and uh big bowler brand himself is is quite the bowler as well so uh good times had in oklahoma city anyway moving on the, pun, the puns are amazing thus far <laughs> we cannot keep the bar this high moving on uh let's talk about the tanking thing so you know honestly the jazz have have played pretty well you know coming out of the all-star break one two in a row uh against oklahoma city in a really tough and competitive game uh where it went back and forth and larry Markinen was just awesome essentially uh, the second game, the Jazz were not awesome, but they were better than the San Antonio Spurs. And in the third game, uh, they were very, you know, had their very worst game of the year, uh, I think it's fair to say, and snapped the Spurs' 16-game losing streak. The question is, basically, did they lose that game because they were trying to lose that game or not? Um, and I think, you know, as always, there are different uh, priorities at different levels of this organization. Um, 
you know, frankly, talking to the front office, looking at the front office's moves, they are focused on the future. They want uh, a high draft pick this year. They want, uh, they are not interested in helping this team win games this season. You know, I think they want to continue to see development from Larry Markinen and Walker Kessler and Ochai Igbaji. And everyone else on the roster uh, is very fungible. And so, um, you know, from their point of view, to have Chris Dunn play well and win you a game doesn't matter a whole lot to them. And instead, they would, I think, prefer the better pick, uh, especially given some of the things in this year's draft, which I I think we want to get into in a second. Um, Eric, do you think the coaching staff feels the same way? I feel like coaches always want to win as many games as they can um that said i guess there's a there's a question about to what degree do they want to go along with the front offices of wishes right so it's like you know if you if you told will hardy hey you have the choice between going 41 and 41 this year or 31 and 51 you know obviously he would pick he would pick the former right but then again like just given that this is a rebuilding year and given that the front office clearly telegraphed their intentions with that uh, trade deadline move, you know, I mean, you get rid of your starting point guard in Mike Conley, you get rid of your sixth man in Malik Beasley, you get rid of a rotation forward and, and former starter in Jared Vanderbilt, and you get rid of a part-time backup point guard and you know, halfway decent perimeter defender in Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And essentially your return for that is a 2027 potential first round draft pick. Like those aren't the actions of a group that's um, really interested in making a playoff run, right? So I think that Will would like to win as much as he can. I think some of the lineups he played in that second San Antonio game would indicate that maybe he is uh, playing his part as, as the front office would wish, you know, like sure. Some, some of those rotations they had were out of necessity. Like when you're missing Jordan Clarkson and Colin Sexton, like you're just going to be limited in some of what you can do. That said, you know, is there a reason to be playing Johnny Juzang, 15 minutes over Juan Toscano Anderson if you were trying to win the game? No. You know, certainly JTA would have given them a better chance against the Spurs. Is is there reason to have Rudy Gay and Yudoka Azubuki playing, you know, the backup center minutes as much as they did when Damian Jones, in his short time here, has shown himself to be a clearly superior option to both those guys. No, you know, neither of those moves really add up to um, going all out to win the game, right? And so yeah. you you covered a bunch of this in, in your triple team uh, very, very eloquently. And it made a lot of sense to me, the arguments that you made, you know, it's like you look at some of those moves and, you know, they do have, I mean, not Rudy Gay, but some of the other moves, you know, could definitely fall more under the uh, category of, you know, potential future development. Like, I don't know that Johnny Juzang is going to turn into anything. I certainly don't think Doke is. But um, 
conversely, we know what Damian Jones is. We know what Juan Toscano Anderson is, right? So theoretically, that's that's future development. And definitely it's playing players that give you less of a chance to win, right? Yeah, you know, I think essentially there's kind of like the, the soft tanking version of this theory, which is you're not playing the best players to help you win now. You're helping, you're playing the best players that may help you later. Um, the thing is, Doke is an expiring contract, right? So like, uh, and frankly, I would be stunned. Absolutely, you know, he's not going to return to the Jazz next year. He's uh, not super stoked with his current situation. Uh, you know, his, uh, and I think it's fair to say that the Jazz aren't super stoked with having drafted him. So uh, it's just going to be better for both parties if, if the Jazz move on next year. Meanwhile, Damian Jones has a player option for next year. And if he wants to stay in the NBA, he really may pick it up. Uh, and so, you know, if, if you're looking at guys who might make an impact, even though Damian Jones is older, I think I'd, I'd probably go in that direction. Um, you know, I, I think you can say, you know, the, the JTA over, you know, Johnny Juzang over JTA thing is kind of similar. To me, like, the other weird thing was there was a first quarter three-point foul on Chris Dunn that was clearly not a foul. There was no lower body contact. The upper body contact was quote-unquote high-five contact, which the, the rule book expressly says is legal, uh, and that wasn't challenged. And you're not going to get better than three points back uh, on a challenge. You know, it's just even if it's in the first quarter, you just got to grab those three points where you can. Uh, and Will didn't challenge it. Um, I thought the timeouts, you know, that the Jazz only took five of their seven available timeouts. Uh, the Spurs only took four of their available timeouts. Even though we know Greg Popovich loves taking timeouts, uh, the Jazz could have used their use it or lose it timeout and chose not to. Um, that was a little bit of a surprise to me. So, look, I, I think my feeling on this is basically somewhere between the the soft and hard tanking. You know, like, if you were abs- actually tanking, uh, you probably pull out Lowry Markkinen uh, or, you know, let him not finish the game, right? Like, and we have seen teams do that in the past where, like, for example, uh, in Oklahoma City last year, I, I think it was they had Moses Brown posting up in against the Clippers at the end of the year. You know, like, they're clearly running plays that are not setting themselves up for success. I don't know that the Jazz went that far. I think Taylor Horton Tucker was just bad. Maybe they should have put the ball in Larry Markkinen's hands more. Um, but look, like, it was, it, was a, it was a bad game, I think. And regardless, like, I, I think kind of whether they are choosing to or not, it's going to be difficult for them to win some of these games for the rest of the year. Um, you know, I'm curious if Oklahoma City is trying to tank, frankly, in these next two games. Um, I'm curious what the Magic do. Charlotte's weirdly won four games in a row coming into this. So, I mean, it, well, I doubt that winning streak extends to when the Jazz play the Hornets, but still they've been weirdly competitive recently. So maybe that's a game that the Jazz could lose. Obviously, uh, the Mavericks have struggled, but on paper are a better team than the Jazz. So it, this is really kind of an interesting road trip where I think, you know, realistically, like anywhere between one and five and four and two are super duper imaginable. And uh, it just kind of depends really what the Jazz's approach is to this, you know, whether they want to win these games and solidify either a play in or even a regular old postseason spot. Um, you know, they're, they're very close to the six seed right now. Or if they want to go the other way and say, look, you know, 
I just did some some analysis on this draft. There's a really big difference between having the six, seven, eight pick in this draft and the 13, 14, 15 pick in this draft. And uh, six, seven, eight, you're likely to get a guy with maybe more all-star potential. You know, maybe the lesser of the Thompson twins. Maybe, uh, you know, I, I, I think you've got, you know, a, a Cam Whitmore. You know, they're just options out there. With the 13, 14, 15 pick, you're getting... I'm not even sure you're getting a Grady Dick or a Jet Howard. You might be getting a uh, Max Lewis from Pepperdine and and kind of a, you know, basically a toolsy guy who hasn't, sh- uh, you know, who's shown a lot but not is is clearly not ready yet. So it's, it's just tough. Like, um, this draft is a little bit less good than I think we thought it would be beyond Victor and Scoot. And so... Um, the, the meat of the draft isn't as there as we thought, you know, as, as you hoped. And as a result, the Jazz are in kind of a tough spot, kind of a tough decision making place with, with 19 games left to go. Yeah. It's, it's interesting for sure. Right. Because I think that if the front office had been able to pull off everything they wanted to this season, we would have seen Mike Conley traded during the off season. We may have seen Jordan Clarkson traded during the off season, right? Like, I think they clearly wanted to tank, but like not at the expense of like not getting the value they liked for those guys, right? And so it, it became this weird thing where all of a sudden you've got a roster that's like far more talented than a traditionally tanking team. And uh, that in combination with, you know, low expectations from opponents equals a bonkers start where they're leading the Western Conference for a day or two, right? Yeah. And, and then you follow that up with um, a rookie head coach who's getting everyone to play hard every single night and the fact that they're playing as many clutch games as they are, you know, and, and winning a certain portion of that. And you take all those things in combination and the next thing you know, like that season that you intended to be a very bad one has gotten away from you and now you're in the last quarter of the season and thinking, man, to what extent do we need to be horrible just to salvage something out of this, right? Um, because, yeah, I, I think it would be, like, pretty disastrous of them to, like, say, maybe just miss out on a playing spot or to, like, get the 10th spot and then lose and then you're picking, you know, what, 13th, 14th, something like that and not being in the playoffs like that's a worst case scenario right like not getting the playoffs and not getting a great pick out of it um i really think they need to lose as many of these games as they can (laughs) to maximize that draft position right because like i know we've had conversations with tony who's been trying to push this narrative that like hey this draft is so epic that like you can get a difference maker pretty much anywhere in the first round right and and i think that's skewed expectations right like that and like the fact that the jazz have had guys like donovan mitchell and rudy gobert in the past who've outperformed draft expectations the fact that you have you know Giannis mvp sure. winning or Giannis mvp <laughs> well Giannis antetokounmpo right Giannis antetokounmpo winning multiple mvps having been drafted 15th nikola Jokic winning multiple mvps having been drafted in the second round and all of a sudden there becomes this idea that, hey, like, if your front office is good enough, you can draft a difference maker anywhere. And it's like, you're always going to have 
high pick guys underachieving. You're always going to have lower pick guys overachieving. But if you look at the history of the draft, like way more often than not, the big difference makers are coming from top 10 picks. And so, you know, if you can get one of those, like you should, right? If the, the jazz aren't picking in the top 10 very often, if they have a chance to do it now, they should. Um, that said, like, maybe we should get into discussing like some of these tiers that, that you've been kind of analyzing and, and alluding to with the draft, just because I certainly am not an expert on this year's class quite yet. Um, I tend to wait until after the season to really start analyzing prospects. Um, but it sounds like you've gotten a head start on that. So I don't know, is, is now a good time to just jump into that? Yeah. And I, I guess I'll say that we are, are going to do more podcasts on this later, right? Like, right, so I, sure. I want to talk about this for like two minutes, but, yeah. uh, I've talked to some front office people around the NBA. I've talked to uh, a number of like draft experts essentially at the Basketball Without Borders camp, uh, which is kind of the top international prospects coming in who are likely to be drafted uh, either next year or the year after that. Um, they came in for to Salt Lake City for their camp uh, as part of the All Star Game. I you know I I think. Um, this this class essentially yeah so you've got the tier at the top right like you've got victor who's kind of in his own tier is like potentially a goat prospect you've got scoot henderson who is a very 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 is an excellent guard prospect one of the best guard prospects we've ever had but kind of like on the because he's 6'2 is kind of in the john morant tier right um and, and then you have you know uh, you're kind of some guys that you're hoping on something changing right like so the Thompson twins are, are awesome. Uh, they are super athletic. They're also 20-year-olds playing against, like, 16- and 17-year-olds. And, like, Cam Boozer, the 15-year-old son of Carlos Boozer, uh, put up probably better numbers than the Thompson twins did in some of these games. Um, that's a little bit discouraging, you know? Like, even if, uh, you know, Sam Vesany says that Amen Thompson is going to be uh, one of the top five athletes in the NBA the moment he steps on the floor, that's really awesome. And that means that you have... Legit all NBA potential, uh, and yet kind of an inability to shoot floaters or an inability to have a, a three point shot also really hurts you in today's league. Like you know, being Russell Westbrook uh, hurts, and so you can be Russell Westbrook, really good player, MVP level player, and then you know you also have to look at okay, you know, where do you, um, you know, how do you get the take that next step? So look, I I think um, then okay, so that's kind of. You've got Victor and Scoot at the top. You've got kind of the, the Thompson twins and Brandon Miller from Alabama, kind of that next tier, three through five. Um, and then from like probably seven to uh, 15, 16, you have a mix of guys who have been really disappointing in their freshman seasons because uh, of efficiency issues, frankly, just like, with against bigger stronger competition than they had in high school they're not uh making as many shots as as we hope they're not getting as much uh separation on offense and so on and a bunch of like kind of role players who have played really well this year so you know like uh grady dick from kansas or uh you know max lewis from pepperdine or jet howard from michigan um who you know i i really like as a player and then also has some of the worst rebounding numbers we've ever seen from a forward in, in NBA draft history. Um, so uh, it's like, 
you know, basically you're getting a, a flawed player at, at that stage in the draft and one that either needs to really, 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 really develop or one that probably doesn't have a all-star level ceiling. And that's uh, a little bit tough given, you know, kind of the trajectory of this franchise and knowing that, hey, Lowry Markinen is awesome, uh, probably gave you five to ten more wins than you really expected this year, and then also uh, definitely needs a second and third star around him uh, in order to make this team a real championship contender. It's it's tough to find that at those those spots in this draft. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good overview, and that's something to keep in mind. You know that that's what the Jazz might be looking at, right? Like we've had portions of this season where the Wolves looked very bad, and you're like, ooh, maybe they're like really going to underachieve. Is it possible they missed the playoffs? You know, theoretically, but, like, they're not underachieving to the degree that, like, you know, they're going to give you a top 10 pick, most likely. So then, you know, the Jazz, all the Jazz can do is, like, put, you know, put it in their own hands, right? And so I get the argument about, hey, you know, why start intentionally being bad now? And it's like, okay, well, why not? You know, better late than never, in in my view. Well, and I'd also say that, you know, even though I just argued that essentially 7 through 14 is a similar level prospect, which, um, you know, I kind of believe essentially, like, I think there's probably a gap between, like, 7 through 10 and 11 through 14 or whatever. Sure, right. Basically, the biggest thing here is that when you have the seventh seed, you have a 33% chance of, of getting a top four pick. Uh, and when you have, uh, you know, when I say seventh seed, I mean seventh worst draft odds. Uh, and, and when uh, you have the 12th seed, you have a, a 5% chance of getting that pick. And so you're really talking about like the a realistic chance of getting a future all NBA player um, and a five percent chance of getting a future all nba player and you know i think that's a substantial difference and like if the lottery uh, balls fall one way and then it just doesn't matter whether the jazz are seven or 12 then yeah you know that's that's tough but um you know if we're talking about like hey how do the jazz win an nba title in the future it's by getting all nba talent and they have one kind of all nba caliber guy on their roster right now uh, clearly it's not enough and clearly, you know, having a top four, a, a solid chance, having a top four pick, uh, would, would really, 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 really help that. So anyway. Yeah. Um, good discussion. Yeah. Fun. Okay. Let's talk Walker Kessler real quick. Um, Walker Kessler is your February Western conference player of the month or sorry, rookie of the month. Um, he averaged 11 points, 11 rebounds and 3.2 blocks per game in the month. That's basically his averages, though, since he's been starting, right? Like, if you look at the splits in February, what he did in February was not any different than what he did in January. Uh, It's not really different than what he did in late December. Like, this is is basically who Walker Kessler is as a player at this point. Um, If anything, actually, it's funny, he had uh, lower usage in February than he has all season long. Like, the Jazz are less able to get him the ball than they were. Um, and I think honestly, some of that's because, um, you know, he's been scouted a little bit, right? So, um, that's, you know, the, the role game is less there. Uh, their teams are spending more resources, boxing him out. Uh, you know, that, that it makes a lot of sense. So, um, 
ultimately, that's kind of the next thing I'd like to see in Walker's game is is kind of being able to raise that usage from 12% where it was in February to 18% or so, kind of in the, the Steven Adams range, if you will. But um, overall, still a really great month from Kessler, still a really promising rookie. Um, and really, he is a top three rookie in the NBA, which, you know, getting him as a throw-in in the Rudy Gobert deal is is a great, 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 great outcome. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, just looking at his numbers, as you mentioned, like pretty similar to, to January, pretty similar to, you know, since he's been starting. Like some people who will look at just like the per game numbers will say, hey, he averaged like two rebounds more and one block more per game in February than he did in January. Well, he also was playing six more minutes a game. So, you know, you look at the like per 100 possessions or whatever your whatever your favorite framework is and <laughs> yeah it, it, it's pretty much the same right and so he's been really good like you know he's been worth rewarding um maybe it's it's you know his uh western conference rookie of the month is more a commentary on like keegan murray of the sacramento kings having a relatively down february i don't know i, I haven't looked at his numbers yet but um yeah the fact that the fact that you've gotten this much out of Walker Kessler in his rookie season is a huge win. And, um, you know, it's been interesting, like hearing from Will Hardy the other day, right? When, when Walker had that, uh, huge game where he had, you know, I forget what the numbers were like 18 rebounds and seven blocks. Right. And hearing him say like, look, I'm on Walker all the time. And then I come back and into the locker room post game and I look at the stat sheet and I'm like, Oh, wow. He did that, you know, but the reason that he's on him all the time is because he recognizes that good as Walker has been to this point, And as much as he's exceeded expectations, they see the potential for him to get that much better down the road. And frankly, you know, just watching him on the court, like you see that there's a lot of room for offensive improvement. You see that there's maybe potential for him to become more switchable on the perimeter so that they don't have to play quite as much drop big with him. Um, you see that, you know, he can definitely get better as a free throw shooter when he gets sent to the line, right? Um, so Jazz fans should be very encouraged by Walker. Uh, he had a great month. It's reflective of the fact that, yeah, since he's been put in the starting lineup, he's been very, very good. Uh, I'm excited to see where Walker goes from here. Yeah, totally. Um, I And I'm curious, I think these last 19 games too, uh, depending on how he does in them, could really dictate his summer developmental plan a little bit. You know, like, I don't know that the Jazz are going to or do I want them to force feed him offensive possessions, but I kind of would like to see, like, what that looks like a little bit um, to, you know, can you have him operate in the mid-range as a pick-and-roller? Can you have him you know, does he have a eight foot floater again, a la Steven Adams? Um, you know, are there little things he can do to develop even further, kind of expand his game from where it is now, where he already is a very good kind of Yaka Pirtle level, uh, starting NBA center. I mean, that's what he is coming into the, the league as a rookie, which is just awesome. So congrats to Walker. That's, that's very cool. Uh, and then the final thing we wanted to talk about on this podcast is Quinn Snyder's hire in Atlanta. And 
I think we all know and love and were traumatized by Quinn a little bit. <laughs> uh, I don't know if traumatized is fair, but covering Quinn Snyder is a very unique experience that uh, is different than other NBA coaches that I have covered, um, which is only Ty Corbin and Will Hardy, but still. Uh, and I don't know if those down there in Atlanta kind of know what they have in store for them. <laughs> I don't know, you know, it, but uh, regardless, it will be fun. Uh, and, and Quinn is, uh, you know, extremely, extremely, extremely brilliant, um, is one of the most perceptive people about, uh, analyzing a situation, uh, about visualizing its solution and about trying to make that, uh, solution come true, uh, in kind of creative ways, very frequently, you know, as a coach, he is. He he's brilliant. Like I I you know I, I think there are real criticisms you can have of Quinn, um, it, but I I think it is going to be extremely fascinating what he does with the Atlanta Hawks, and I think there is real uh, potential there. Even though you know I, I think a lot of people look at the Hawks and see it as an off court mess right now. Um, I think Quinn really could come in and change that overnight. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, earlier this week, I actually appeared on an Atlanta area podcast um, hosted by Kevin Chenard of ATL and 29. Um, they have kind of a weird setup where even though he's not a Hawks employee, they wind up putting his stuff on their website. Hmm. Um, so he's kind of like their equivalent of, of the Jazz's Ryan Kosteka as like one of their in-house writers and, and podcasters, but not technically employed by the team. Okay. So a little weird. Um, and, and it was just an interesting conversation, right? Because he wanted to go over kind of the history of, of Quinn here in Utah and, of course, how that might translate to the Hawks. Very curious um, to see what his relationship is like with, with star players. You know, wanted to know about how he interacted with Donovan and Rudy over the years because, honestly, a lot of people in, in Atlanta, I think, are at this point concerned about whether or not uh, Trey Young can be reined in a little bit can be made to be a little more efficient uh get more with the program as it were um i think they're curious to see can quinn resurrect the career of john collins to the point that he's like actually useful for the hawks rather than just being constantly mentioned in trade rumors as, as someone they want to get rid of um yeah they were you know also just very curious about like kind of the the mannerisms of quinn and like we had some fun discussing you know some of his uh idiosyncrasies i guess like someone asked him you know in the aftermath of of him coaching that very first game like hey you know you only just barely got here and then you jumped right into coaching like did you get much sleep last night and he declined to answer the question i said you know that's that's not going to be a thing that's unique to that specific night, right? No, like, yeah. Quinn, Quinn kind of a notorious non-sleeper because his brain is just working 24-7 trying to come up with the next thing to, to make the team better. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes because, yeah, the Hawks are definitely an intriguing situation. They have, you know, some talent there. They have some bad contracts that they'd like to move off of. Um I'm curious to see if, if he's able to take a team that um, ranks among the bottom in the NBA in three-point makes and attempts and percentage um, and, and winds up turning them into something, 
you know, that more closely resembled what the Jazz were the last few years of his tenure here. So uh, a lot of things to keep an eye on going forward with, with Quinn in Atlanta. Yeah, look, I think that should be a top five offensive team. Uh, they are taking some of the worst shots in the NBA right now. Uh, I, I believe they're 29th in terms of kind of their money ball shot percentage, if you will. So like the percentage of their shots that come from mid-range is extremely high. Um, which is dumb because they have Trey Young and they have uh, DeJounte Murray and they have, you know, John Collins and Bogdan Bogdanovich and, and Sadiq Bey and a, a number of good three, uh, DeAndre Hunter, obviously, and, and, you know, kind of a number of guys who, who can hit the three-point shot. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, it, it really is kind of about kind of distributing those shots outward a little bit. Um, running, I think, probably a little bit more just normal pick and roll with better shot selection. Trey Young's one of the best uh, free throw drawers in the league, and he should be able to do that. And then, you know, I think it's about uh, developing a defense that can withstand some of their players' weaknesses, right? Like, especially Trey Young, who's absolute garbage defensively. Um, God, I watched some. I watched some of Quinn's first game, right? And sorry, this is a complete. This is a unprofessional rant, but uh, he doesn't even try. Come on, Trey Young, try on defense. Uh, I think Quinn hopefully will be able to turn that around. Um, but, you know, if not, I, I think there's enough there that it should be, you know, like Sadiq Bey is a good defender. I think uh, Clint Capella obviously is is kind of Rudy Light in some ways. DeJounte Murray is a terrific defender. They should be able to be good. Um, and, you know, there's just like enough talent one through eight there. Onyeka and Kongwu is awesome. I, I, that they should be able to make this work at a higher level than what they have. You know, frankly, 31 and 31 isn't good enough. And like, I think some of that's because of the off court stuff. And I think Quinn will bring some stability there through just like sheer force of will. Um, and I think some of it is because Nate McMillan ran some kind of old school stuff that uh, doesn't necessarily maximize your points per, per play. And I think Quinn is the exact opposite of that. So I don't know that anything changes in, in, you know, their remaining 20 games. I think that's asking a lot, but, uh, you know, maybe it will. And then once you have an offseason to install a new offense, uh, maybe make some changes around the margins of the roster, I, I think they should be good. You know, I, I don't know how well it'll work out long term, but I would bet on the over for the Hawks win-loss total next season, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you, like... I do think it's a tough ask to say, hey, come in with, I think he joined them when they had 22 games remaining or something like that. And like, yeah, 21. Hey, let's, let's, yeah, 21. Let's, let's get this turned around over the last 21. Like, can he make some difference? Yeah, probably. Will it be like a substantial difference? I, I don't know that that's realistic, but um, yeah, I'm with you. I, I do expect that given a full off season to kind of, you know, bring in some some different coaches who he likes and is familiar with to kind of install schemes that he thinks work and to maybe you know change their roster up a little bit more to their liking to his liking um yeah I, I fully expect we'll see a much different looking Hawks team next year in terms of how they operate on both ends of the court it's interesting that he went Sadiq Bay at the end of a game uh instead of John Collins um you know the team will continue to try to move John Collins. We'll see if they're able to this offseason. Um, yeah. And, you know, by the way, I also don't think that the Jazz uh, have necessarily closed that door either. You know, I think the Jazz, if if they were to get a 
good deal on on Collins and or get value back in return in terms of picks and Collins, uh, they that may still be something that ha- happens during the offseason. But anyway. Yeah, it'll, it'll be curious to see what Atlanta's appetite for dealing another first-round pick or two is after they gave up a few to bring in DeJounte, so... Right, like it, it shouldn't be, um, but you know, also Quinn has kind of Pobo powers a little bit. You know, like I don't think he's actually GM, but I think that he has significant voice, and that's kind of one of the things that they promised him when when joining the team. And so, uh, you know, I I don't think that he's going to be super excited about uh, taking steps backwards or you know doing things to gain picks uh, with you know players that he he likes and frankly you know you're not going to get a lot of picks back in return for john collins right so uh yeah yeah. anyway it'll be interesting uh what what happens there but i it's just kind of fun and weird to see uh quinn in a weird uh quarter zip pull up in the hawks uniform (laughs) uh just on the hawk sideline just kind of stalking about uh being the hyper man that he is um what what a what a what a time of our lives. We covered a Quinn Snyder team for eight years. That rules. I mean, I well, did anyway. I, I covered <laughs> I covered Quinn for four years, and it it was amazing in and of itself. But um, yeah, you know, even though we're now multiple years removed from the suits with the Gucci belts and and you know the villain curl draping down over his face, like I still miss it. You know, like those are those were entertaining times. Which is not to say like. We're not having great interactions with Will Hardy. He's been no, fantastic yeah. to this point. But um, Quinn was definitely a unique character and um, Godspeed to the Atlanta media. <laughs> like, Quinn was great with the media. I don't, like, until the end, right? Quinn was good with the media in the first four years, was great with me. Uh, you know, I remember him at one point just, like, grabbing my hips and moving me on a pick-and-roll screen on the court, like, showing me this angle of screen thing he wanted to show me. Uh, that was in like year three, I think. Uh, and then, you know, by the end got really testy that we kept pointing out how Donovan and Rudy wouldn't pass to each other or, you know, like how the team kept losing 20 point leads in the fourth quarter. Um, but them's just the facts. So, (laughs) oh, well, Andy, you just need to remember to use statistics responsibly. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Fair enough. (laughs) I'll do my best. Anyway. With that, uh, we uh, that's that was a good How About This Jazz podcast. Uh, I, I think that, that wraps it up. Eric, anything else? No. I'm, uh, I'm excited to not go on this road trip, and I'm disappointed <laughs> to not go on this road trip. Fair enough. So we'll be watching the jazz on TV like the rest of you all for the next six games. So, yep. yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening. At uh, please, you know, support when you can. Sltrip.com slash donate. Sltrip.com slash subscribe. But for now, Andy Larson, Eric Walding, saying so long. Adios.